brought to you by dementiaresearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK, Alzheimer's Society, Race Against Dementia and the Alzheimer's Association, bringing you research, news, career tips and support. Welcome to the Dementia Researcher podcast. I'm Dr. Kama Amin Ali, Senior Lecturer in Biomedical Science at Teesside University and regular Dementia Researcher blogger. Today we've got an episode that's going to stimulate your neurons because we're going to be talking about the recent British Neuroscience Association Festival, or BNA for short. And we're going to be bringing you some of the most exciting and thought-provoking highlights from this incredible event. We've got a fantastic lineup of special guests joining us, each with their own unique perspective on the latest trends and breakthroughs in their fields of discovery, from cutting-edge science to inspiring stories of perseverance and discovery. This episode is packed with insights and inspiration for anyone that's interested in the field of neuroscience. So sit back, relax, and get ready to have your mind blown as we reminisce on our week in Brighton. So let's meet our guests. First, we have the incredible Dr. Charlie Arbor. Next, we have the brilliant Dr. Dorothy Sir. Also, the fabulous Dr. Dane Bacano-Kelly. And last but not least, the awesome Dr. Nora Bengoa. Welcome, everyone. Hi. Hi. Hey. Hello. Hi. So, why don't you all introduce yourselves properly? So, let's start with Charlie. Okay. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name's Charlie Arbor. I'm a senior research fellow at the Institute of Neurology here at UCL. And my work focuses around stem cell models of familial Alzheimer's disease. So trying to understand the early mechanisms of disease with a view to trying to, to reverse Alzheimer's disease. Thanks, Charlie. And Dorothy? Hi, everyone. My name is Dorothy. I'm a senior lecturer at Atchew University, also an honorary fellow at University of Edinburgh. I'm a neuroscientist and uh, I'm interested in uh, memory and learning, healthy aging and Alzheimer's disease. So currently I'm working on to develop a behavioral paradigm in spatial navigation that have a better translation between animals and human studies. Thanks, Dorothy. And over to Dane. Hi, I'm Dane Bacano-Kelly. I'm a group leader at the UK Dementia Research Institute here at Cardiff University. Um, my work focuses on Parkinson's and looks at trying to mimic the longitudinal um, timeline of the disorder to really understand how and what changes over time at the synaptic level. Welcome, Dane, and over to Nora. Hi, I'm Nora. I work at ABCN, or Atucarro Basque Centre for Neuroscience, here in uh, the sunny northern Spain. Um, I am a principal investigator, and I lead the lab of aggregation and glial response. We're really interested in looking at how proteins like synuclein or tau can aggregate and uh, elicit glial responses in both Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. Welcome, everyone, to the podcast. So, for those listeners outside the UK, or for those who don't work in neuroscience, let me set the scene for you. 
And please stick with us because I promise you'll still find this show interesting, even if you're not in the world of fundamental science. Now, the BNA International Festival of Neuroscience is a unique, dynamic and inclusive meeting. As you would expect, it has an incredible scientific programme, but also a real festival feel with fringe and community engagement events across the city, career development talks, workshops, symposia, a silent theatre, rapid fire poster talks and much, much more. Now, the format for these types of shows is simple. So we're going to go around the studio, the virtual studio we've got today, uh, a few times, sharing our highlights, summarising any talks, posters, any sessions, sharing our takeaways, uh, not literally our food takeaways, but our takeaways from the festival, of course, <laughs> and generally helping anyone who could attend to feel as if they were there. So I know we were all involved in sessions and events during the meeting, so why don't we start by sharing how these went? So Charlie, let's start with you. So uh, if I'm right, you spoke and you co-chaired a session. So how was that? Yeah, it was it was great. I suppose it was the first time that I've been involved in chairing a session at, at quite a large meeting like this. Um, so I did a little bit of preparation in, in advance and we had two speakers online and two speakers uh, in person. And I suppose the biggest challenge was that we had someone speaking from Uganda and we either had their voice or their video and never both at the same time. So we had to quickly think on our feet and uh, re-shuffle uh, uh, the uh, order of speakers. Um, and then thankfully the audio visual team were brilliant and sorted it um, for them uh, afterwards. Um, and it was really well worth it because it was um, a disease that I knew nothing about, nodding syndrome, which has something to do with tau uh, in uh, African population. So it was fascinating and well worth uh, sticking with it in the end. So what was the session on? It was translational advances. It was a bit of a mix. Um, so uh, I spoke about, about stem cell models. Um, someone else spoke about astrocytes. Uh, we had nodding syndrome and then we had antibodies as well. So it was about uh, fundamental advances. Um, and it was it was great. It was nice to see uh a mix of topics all sort of aiming towards the same thing so it was it was it was great yeah i enjoyed it a lot i think that's one of the benefits of one of these kind of broader neuroscience meetings because you do get to mix with scientists that are working on different things compared to what your personal topic might be and it kind of almost broadens the work that maybe you're going to be involved in and you can speak with other people that you might not normally speak with um, because they're not in your direct uh, area of work. Um, Dorothy, I know that you were also involved in speaking and uh, co-chairing a session as well. Am I right? Yeah, so the session that I chaired is about spatial memory. So it's a behavioral insight into the nature of spatial memory, and it's convened by European Brain and Behavioral Society. So it's linked between like behavioral and also like cognitive process of uh, neuromechanisms. And uh, so there are four speakers, um, like Charlie's session. So we have two speakers online and two speakers in person. And uh, so we've got one speaker is from Dartmouth uh, University from USA. So this time zone wise, it's uh, yeah, it's it's um, we've got to liaise about a bit. And then the symposium itself is about um, 
like recent studies in the area of spatial memory. For example, there are recent studies in place cells. And for those of you who don't know what place cells are, um, place cells are neurons in the hippocampus that fire when the animal visits specific regions. Um, so we call it like place cells and place fields. And uh, yeah, so it's there are lots of um, uh, animal studies and also um, one of the speakers talk about humans like studies, uh, cognitive navigation too. So um, it's very interesting and um, I, li I like it because there is like mixed of like animal studies and also human studies. So it's a good um, like multidisciplinary like um, session, like looking into both like, animals and human and in spatial navigation. I think it's one of those areas of uh, fundamental science where you can see the direct implications. I mean, this is Dementia Research, a podcast, but think, you know, looking at fundamental science in terms of spatial memory, episodic memory, uh, looking at animal models to determine what those fundamental processes are can have translation over to trying to understand then uh, in disease models and then in, in human disease, uh, especially relating to dementia, where we know that some of those early kind of cognitive changes that we see are to do with spatial navigation, to do with episodic memory. So, yeah, definitely I can see how a session like that would appeal to people that are both working with animal models and um, doing human studies as well. Sounds really exciting. Uh, Nora, you also um, were involved in a session as well. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I was co-chair to the session on techniques and technologies for the study of Parkinson's disease, which was sponsored by Parkinson's UK or PDUK. And uh, I think we had a fantastic mix of different topics there because we had a, a talk by Caleb Weber exploring the heterogeneity in IPSC models, which uh, was radically different, for example, to that of Tiago Tedo, who was talking on how we can use perhaps exosomes or ectosomes, which I did not know existed until this very talk, um, uh, in order to, uh, well, he, he presented a biochemical study, but the I think the further ahead um, uh, route of research would be to use these and harness the, the potential between the different sorts of vesicles in order to use them as biomarkers. And then we had a fantastic talk uh, by Amanda Lewis on the classification of Lewy bodies. And so um, a bit what, what, what Dane's lab explores, but at the Lewy body level, right? Like if we start with a pale body, which is the very early lesion in Parkinson's, where acinucleine seems to start to accumulate, how does that then mature, let's say, into a Lewy body? And she just does beautiful CLEM studies that, that uh, just blew me away, to be honest. It's just so, so nice and such a very fantastic continuation to the early field-shocking Jamaradian paper um, a few years back that, uh, that it was such a privilege to, to co-host really. And how did you get involved with that, Nora, in terms of the organization of that um, session? Well, I have, I, I feel like the credit is for Dane and David Dexter, because I simply uh, laid back and uh, got a, an email from David Dexter, but I feel like he may have gotten some poking from Dane. Um, <laughs> you might have to ask Dane, actually, because, <laughs> yeah, I, I was just delighted to receive the, the invitation. And uh, it was a wonderful experience. And the BNA as a whole was a wonderful experience. Well, shall we naturally hand over to Dane then? 
No, no, you got it all entirely on your own merit. Don't don't try and push and deflect this away, Nora. You, you know you were there on your merit, and that's and that was really good. I was actually at that session. It was a, it was a wonderful session, and uh, I can fully concur. All of the talks within that session, including your own, was it was really good and really refreshing. Um, I, I I did a few things um, at at the BNA. It was quite busy. Full disclosure, I'm I'm. Uh, co-chair um, for the BNA 2023 um, program organizing committee and, and um, a joint meeting secretary. Um, so I had a hand in in, in um, setting everything up, I suppose, although actually full credit that needs to really go to um, to the team, um, uh, the real the real people that were doing the work. So like um, Sophie and Joe and Louise and Danny and and and, and Sophie Grange. So it, it, they were really the ones that put everything together. But I did end up running around a little bit. I was chairing a couple of the uh, plenary sessions. Um, one for Joanna Wardlaw, um, who um, has done some fantastic work um, across the course of her career. So she was rewarded with the um, John Wollstonecroft um, lecture, um, which celebrates um, leaders in the field of, of sort of neuroscience and, and, and um, neurotransmission. <clears throat> and she was talking about her work um, involving Lackey too. So this, she was looking at um, the translation of um, the work that she's done into clinical trials, um, looking at how to help with lacuna infarcts and 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 the vasculature within the brain and how this can then have a knock-on effect to um, improving cognition, which really spoke to me way back when I when I did my PhD. I, I used to work on, on stroke and the onset of Alzheimer's disease, so I, I, I really liked that talk a lot. And I also got to <clears throat> equally have an, another plenary um, um, chair of another plenary session, which was um, Dimitri Kuhlman, which is another honor. Um, he's done some great work on, on electrophysiology, excitability. Um, um, he's a neurologist and he was talking about some of the work that he's uh, going on to do to make trials using um, <clears throat> active, really, really fascinating stuff with uh, driving um, or silencing the activity of neurons based on an activity-dependent manner, so using potassium channels to to drive silencing in those neurons, which then actually increase in activity at the time. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then I'm sure we're going to get onto it later, but we we I was at some of the other satellite areas, so some some of the speed dating and the careers talks and sessions, and I thought it was it was uh, really good. It was really fun. It was great to interact with lots of people. As a lot of people said, it was great to see people in 3D. I know we're doing this online; it's a necessity here, but it's great to to sort of meet and chat with people about in real life. So, and remember how short and tall everybody is, and, and in real life, so that's always good. <laughs> It does make a difference, doesn't it? And um, I'm quite a short person and <laughs> it's the first time that I was uh, meeting some people in real life as well. And and But I can always assume people are going to be taller than me. So, uh, But I think maybe they get shocked with how I'm like only five foot one. See, I so think I I'm imagine quite, myself <laughs> like, like taller than everybody else and I get yeah the shock of my life when everybody's yeah, towering over me and I have to, I prefer it online now. It's better. It's better for... <laughs> I also want to mention, uh, so Dorothy and I were also involved in a session uh, that was co-organised by the BNA and also the ALBA Network, which is an organisation that promotes diversity and equity in neuroscience. And it involved us and others uh, kind of running roundtable discussions on topics such as careers, work-life balance, uh, reducing unconscious bias, things like that. And then co-producing solutions with those who attended. Because I think a lot of the time when we talk about these issues that not necessarily specific to neuroscience, but more uh, to academia more broadly, um, would 
highlighting what the problems are, but not very forthcoming with how we solve these problems. And actually, if there are any solutions, it tends to come top down. Um, so the idea of actually co-producing solutions, I thought was uh, really innovative and, and exciting. So we, uh, Dorothy and I were involved in this session uh, with those who attended. Um, so Dorothy, why don't you tell us how you found uh, that session went for you? Yeah, I found it's, it's great because it's, um, it's a workshop too, right? So it's like we, we divide it into like eight like tables, like round tables. So um, we discuss like different topics and then we share and then uh, we rotate and then discuss like further of these topics. So as Kim mentioned, like the topics are like about work-life balance and career paths and like job security, which I think is important, like especially for early career researchers and uh, definitely definition of excellence and mobility and unconscious bias. So there are lots of like um, diverse topics we we discuss. And um, can I, I think you, you hosted at the career paths um, session. Yes. So with me, I, I did like on the work life balance. Um, I found it's um, it's uh, it's it's hard also like I did some homework before I uh, chair of this uh, session. So I think it's it's uh, important to find out what is the core things that you like to do it in life. And then you make sure you do them first before, you know, like you you have these other like like small tasks, like, um, you know, occupied you. So, yeah. And I, I think we got like a really good discussion and everybody just joined in and have some work on some solutions for that. And I remember one of the um, researchers talking about with work-life balance, right? So um, we have to like manage our time, you know, prioritize things, right? And uh, we also have some practical um solution for that for example uh, like zero like inbox like when you do your emails right so make sure you clear it as soon as possible so just again prioritize so i think it's it's good there's some like uh, practical solutions come out yeah yeah as you said dorothy my table we were looking at uh, career paths and um what so we rotated the tables three times so i had th uh, three groups and what what really shocked me was the same things came up with each group so they were sharing that within their institutions uh careers outside of academia aren't really promoted uh within their departments within their universities and i was quite surprised by that because sometimes you see things advertised about uh, things like uh, medical writing or working in industry but either it's not getting to postdocs and PhD students uh, it's not advertised as well or they're just not frequently organized enough they're kind of sporadic they're, they're not kind of uh, there enough or promoted enough um, I feel some people said that they couldn't talk about careers outside of academia within their group because uh, it was almost seen as failing or not uh, pursuing what maybe their PI wanted and it's it's just a shame that people might want to explore but don't feel like they can explore options outside of their PhD and I think we need to think of PhDs and postdocs as training for a multitude of, of different uh, career options and I've written about that a lot for Dementia Researcher. So it was a shame that these same problems were coming up so it, it's obviously something that's quite prevalent. 
Um, but then we also came up with some really, really great solutions. So we know that some funders, as part of their PhDs, they have uh, these almost like um, internships, I guess you could call them, that are kind of built into the PhD studentships where they can go and spend um, some time in a career outside of academia, whether that's spending some time um, working with a medical writing company or working with industry. So they can actually have some exposure um, to these different options, not just uh, academia. And I think one thing that came back was actually that should be more widely available to students, but also to postdocs, um, because I think it is only a select few funders that do offer that at the moment. Um, so we did come up with some good solutions, but it'll be interesting to see now how we move forward in, in potentially trying to implement some of those solutions. I don't know what any of the rest of the panel think about that. I think it's uh, it's definitely a worry that people are not comfortable sharing that they're wanting to explore things outside of academia. I think from a language perspective as well as a community, we should strive to stop calling them alternative careers. I think it just ingrains that concept that the way is academia and anything else is just the, the other stuff. And it's, it's, uh, it's not, <laughs> these are careers, all of them are careers. And um, with my team, for example, I ask them not on a daily basis, but every, every so often, maybe they think I knack too much, but um, I do ask them quite regularly, um, what do you think it is that uh, you want to do later? And I, I do explore a lot of, of the different options with them. And I do try to give them, so SPIs, what I mean is we can give them our contacts. I'm sure everyone or almost everyone who has gone to industry or to academic writing or to medical writing or to th these any type of career option that is not academia is more than happy to spare some minutes uh, and even just have a conversation because the, the placements seem like a fantastic opportunity, but I can see how that is difficult to make widely available to everyone, right? But just to have a, a, a conversation over Zoom, these days everyone, you know, will, will engage in, in, in that. And just for us as, as, as PIs to promote that as much as possible and to try to convince um, early career researchers or ECRs to, to just really um, don't, don't be afraid to ask because, uh, well, if you don't ask, you don't get, but also you shouldn't, you really shouldn't be uh, afraid to ask. And if it's not, if you feel like you're not comfortable with your PI, just, you know, we're all online. I'm sure we can, our, this panel here is more than happy to help. So yeah. just reach out and we'll, we'll be happy. Absolutely. To help. I completely agree, Nora. I think that, that what you said there, you shouldn't be calling them sort of, yeah, alternative careers. They, they are just careers. They're all careers. And, and, Another point is when we when we send off you know PhDs and postdocs to another lab and we see it as growth for a network we now have ties to another network. The same can be held true for moving into different areas, right? So if I have friends that have moved into the Go Science, so the Government Office for Science in the UK, and that ties to politics and government and policy design is is very vital for a lot of the stuff we do and, and, that, and that's that's very useful as well we have, I have friends that have moved into um and colleagues that have moved into ip and and, and development of I, and ideas development and this is also really useful for if we have patents or if we have other things coming out so we shouldn't be so narrow-minded as just to think that the the ties that we can form only consist of other academic institutions and i i, I mean i've 
people into contact with um, with these people before and uh, at PhD level, at postdoc level, I even when we were at Oxford, uh, Nora, we, I ran a program where we did talks from these external sources so that you could, you know, show that it's not only <laughs> academia or bust, right? It, it, there are other other ways and means of doing things. So I'm, I'm really interested to, to, to know, um, Cameron and Dorothy, did, uh, so, uh, did you, the people that were at your table, was it a one particular um, sort of age profile or demographic for for was it like only phds or was it phds and postdocs or were there a few occasionally you know some pis there as well there was a um, predominantly phd students on my tables and postdocs but interestingly we did have a few people that worked outside of academia already so it was really good to get their perspective on what their experience was like uh, moving outside of academia and, and kind of how they transitioned um so yeah so it was it was a bit of a mix but i, I don't think i had any pis on my table i don't know about you dorothy yeah, so in my table, so at three rounds, there are like there are some PIs, not not majority, and um, there are some students, PhD students, but they have prior like um, experience in working in industry before they go to PhDs, which is very interesting because it gives like a different perspective, like because um, we talk about. Um, uh, like long hours, like working long hours in academic. So again, because it's linked to like work-life balance. So um, one of the key theme we, we talk about is like long hours do not equal to productive hours. So um, so I think that's like hitting a lot of like people like with, um, you know, the work long hours in the lab, but uh, sometimes, you know, taking a break, you know, and setting boundaries are also important. And I also would like to echo what Nora and Dane mentioned. Um, I think it's important also for the PI, you know, to actually encourage or like supports, you know, the students to look into different career options. Um, yeah, I found, because during this discussion, um, some of the PhD students mentioned that they, again, they have not, um, like they were worried to you know to like spend time you know outside the whether they doing experiments you know to look into different career options but yeah so i think it's important you know maybe as a role model you know or like support the, like your lab you know to to grow in that way mm -hmm. can, can i just pick up on that i think it's yeah just amazing that we're talking about the career development and it was my first time going to bna and I wasn't really sure what to expect, but it was one of the massive highlights that there was so much thought and community spirit behind it. So as well as career development, for example, I went to a CV clinic because uh, I never knew six page CVs were normal in, in you know science, so it's good to know. But as well as that, there's the open access with the BNA's own journal, there's sort of credibility and reproducibility, and um, there was a whole plenary session on uh, credibility and reproducibility that was amazing um, for example uh, what represents an n number and reproducibility uh, between experiments which was really interesting to discuss and yeah um, and even pre-registration which i hadn't really considered but for all topics uh, pre-registration for even a basic science experiment what are you expecting what are you hoping to get out of it um, I think was uh, really interesting to hear because sometimes looking back after an experiment, oh, I did actually do what I said I was going to do. And you, you might not um, have the same sort of uh, 
yeah, you might you might it might have more more positivity after an experiment than you thought. But I, I think it was just amazing to see the BNA as a society, sort of um, all these extra things outside the academia, which I was really impressed by, and I, yeah, I, I loved. I agree, Charlie. They're definitely pushing forward on a lot of those different agendas and their leaders in, in a lot of those things, definitely. Um, since we're talking about careers, Dane, can I come back to you? Because I know that you're involved in um, the work in the career zone and in the career speed dating as well. Am I right? If so, how, uh, how did that go for you? Those were excellent. It was my first time speed dating. And it was an excellent experience. I really enjoyed myself. Now, I met some fantastic um, um, PhDs and postdocs at the speed dating session, um, sat at the table. And obviously, the idea is you rotate round and have quick chats with everybody. Um, it was really good to see um, a breadth of idea sets and questions and um, really get to sort of chat with the wide variety of people and um, that's another bonus of the bna i really think is that you get to talk to you know neuroscientists not just from parkinson's and not just f even more niche um from sort of like the synaptic or electrophysiological angle which you know sometimes is, is the, the realms that i walk in um but to talk to you know structural um uh, protein biologists and you know just fundamental um mechanisms uh, of science and it was really, really refreshing um, and interesting to hear the same sorts of questions coming from them as, as the students and postdocs that I usually see. Um, how do you progress at the career ladder? What would you look for in a postdoc? What would be the next step for me? How do I approach and apply for fellowships and funding, etc.? cetera? Um, but it was just, there was an energy. There was a real nice energy about it. There was, everybody was enjoying themselves they were eager to talk eager to uh, ask questions nobody felt um i feel overawed by talking to anybody in fact what i what i i heard back from a few of them at the speed dating was that they couldn't believe there was um people um at higher up levels like you know patrick brunding or, or david dexter walking around and just engaging and interacting with them and they were I think they were a bit starstruck in some cases, which was, which was great to hear because that's good that they were having such good interactions. Um, and then sort of the sort of the career clinic was, was similar. It was people coming up and talking about what they were trying to do, what they were trying to achieve. We were next to the CV clinic, Charlie, and, and there was lots of people there also. And, and uh, yeah, it was, it was good to see that there was, at least from my perspective, a lot of engagement with the what could possibly be considered the sort of more satellite things at the meeting, not just the talks, but but these extra bits. And there was a lot of engagement with that, which I think was really, really, really good. Um, it's exactly what we would have wanted. Sounds fantastic. So what I would like to kind of ask you about now is any other sessions, any other posters, events that were particular highlight for you. So let's start with Charlie. So anything that you kind of experienced during the meeting that was a particular highlight for you, it can be a particular session, any particular posters or any of these kind of satellite events that we've just mentioned. So um, I think one of the highlight, one of the set, one of the talks I wanted to see the most was probably the first talk on the first day, Sunday. So I caught the, the very first train from my station at home and only, only missed the first five minutes of the first talk. But um, it was around uh, immunotherapy and Alzheimer's disease and other, and, and other diseases. And James Nicholl from Southampton was presenting uh, data on some of the older trials with uh, immunotherapy and Alzheimer's disease, where um, 
the drug was AB1792, and what, what they did was inject amyloid into, into people, evoke an immune response, and that then clears plaques from the brain. And those trials were 10, 20 years ago now, so some people have, have passed away since then, and he's looked at the pathology in those brains. And what's interesting is, obviously, the plaques are cleared away, but also some of the um, microglial activation is reduced, and the pathology seems um, like there's been a positive effect of some of these drugs. And the reason this was such a highlight now, especially, is because of the news um, at the time of recording, just yesterday, but when this goes out last week, um, around donanumab as the second um, passive immunotherapy, I suppose. So this is giving the antibodies rather than the antigen. Uh, donanumab is the second antibody, uh, sec two and a half, I'd say, after aducanumab. But we now have three antibodies that can uh, effectively clear away plaques and two that effectively show cognitive uh, slowing of cognitive decline, which I think is really exciting. And it's taken 20, even 30 years since the discovery of amyloid, but we're really on the cusp of something exciting now. And I think looking at some of these pathology and some of the results from the trials 10, 20 years ago is really fascinating about how it works and what we need to do to take this forward. So I think that's uh, really one of the highlights was to see, you know, the, the state of the art and where we are with, with uh, new therapies for Alzheimer's disease. So a highlight at the very beginning, pretty much, of the, uh, the meeting. Um, sounds really interesting. Um, so Nora, what about you? Uh, what was a particular highlight that stuck out for you? I think one of one of the highlights that I'd like to kind of mention, which has tangentials, tangentially uh, already been mentioned, is basically uh, just just the the diversity in the program. So um, it is very easy to just talk about the neuron and just have neuron neuron centric um, talks. And when I talk about diversity, people naturally go to EDI and, and inclusivity. But I also think about it in the topics that are covered, right? And just to have that so much glial research in the program to acknowledge that these cells are really important in neuroscience, that we just should not be focusing on a subset of them. And what the, to explore all that is just absolutely fantastic. And there was a, a P, PDUK session where um, um, Hazel Hall-Roberts and Julia TCW and... Um, uh, Emma Mead, amongst others, were really looking, not only looking at the biology uh, of microglia, but also using these cells for screening assays. Because we, again, we've been focusing on the neuron a lot, and we've just not paid attention to, to the glia. And to just be using them now in functional studies and to look at drug discovery, I think is fantastic. But I also think it speaks to the organizing and the and the building the program right because if you don't plan these sessions they simply we simply miss out on these uh talks and we don't get that that diversity in the cellular uh context of the brain yeah i'd just like to uh, agree wholeheartedly that was a fantastic session and hammering your point home i think julia tcw's results showing that you only see phenotypes when you co-culture the glia with neurons and you don't see them when you grow these cells on their own i think really you know, supports what you're saying. Exactly. For example, Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, they're multifactorial diseases. If it was a, you know, 
a, a Mendelian P, if you will, <laughs> if it was just down to one gene, we would already have cracked it and we haven't, right? So, so we just need to build in that diversity into the programs of the scientific meetings, our models, everything. Really good point. I think one of the challenges is with a broad neuroscience meeting is having these parallel sessions and covering all these things. Because I certainly found that there was several different um, uh, sessions that were happening at the same time and found it really difficult to pick the ones that I wanted to go to because yeah. there were several happening at the same time that I, were really relevant for what I'm interested in. Um, so Dorothy, what about you? What, what was a particular highlight? Yeah, um, I would like to echo with uh, Nora and Charlie. So um, I think when when talk about diversity, apart from like topics, I think it's the elements also with diversity. So I think one of my highlights um, is the last talk is um, on uh, Colin Blakemore. Um, yeah, I found it's like um, quite moved. Like not only like talk about like how amazing like Colin's work was like uh, um, the importance of like the plasticity in the brain and focusing on postnatal plasticity of visual system because that's um, he's amazing and doing that um, it's also you can see um, people previously worked from his lab actually presenting like a lot about his work and also he he's, he was a great mentor so I think that elements like moved me a lot um, yeah because uh, Tara Spice Jones also talked about that so um, I think it was Great, yeah. Thanks, Dorothy. And Dan, what kind of stuck out as a highlight for you? So uh, I just complete this set. I, I, I'm really pleased to hear that uh, everybody really enjoyed the breadth of the types of talk, the types of sessions that were held and, and the different platforms with which that was given. So the posters and the talks and the parallel sessions and, uh, and then things like the speed dating. So that's really good to hear. One of the things behind the scenes that we, just to give you a little insight, uh, Kama, that's exactly what we wanted to hear is that you couldn't pick because some of the parallel sessions were so good rather than, well, none of them were that good. So I went for a walk down the beach and went to see like, you know, getting some fish and chips alongside the pier just for this particular session. It's good that there's it's there's so much to see and to, and to do. That's great. That's right. Right. So, and I'm glad that it was like that. And I, I felt like that at one point I was jumping between parallel sessions, um, which was hard <laughs> I'm trying to, you know, gauge it and write all these notes down, which was really good. But, um, um, uh, one of the, 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 the real highlights for me was watching um, Patrick Brindon talk, um, not just because of the science that he was doing. So he was talking about um, synucleonopathy and synuclein-based models, um, but he was very balanced about the idea of synuclein and its impact in Parkinson's, um, that it's of its import, but not that it's solely to do with only synuclein. And, Sometimes things can become fairly dogmatic in the field and, and it's really nice to hear from somebody so eminent as himself that, you know, there are other ways and means and these were more possibly could be modifiers of, of the disorder um, as well as, you know, driving forces. It, it, there's a spectrum um, as there is across all of neurological conditions and it affects people differently and we see different outcomes when we look at the pathology and therefore it can't be as Nora just put it that Mendelian P it can't be just that one thing that's causing the same thing because we get such breadth of symptoms and, and histological pathology so it, it was really nice to hear somebody like that say it say it on stage whilst then talking about his model system which is heavily based on synuclein which it just provided a nice perspective the other great thing was as well as I say you know um, 
as well as the data that he was doing and showing, which was really interesting with with the infections and bladder infections, UTI, maybe being one of the places where things like MSA could be stemming from, etc., was um, his assertions on two fronts. The first is we don't want to just drive towards that endpoint histopathology all the time. Sometimes progression is the key. And coming and looking at my particular work and angles, perhaps I'm biased, but trying to look at progression and progressive models is is and mim trying to mimic the disorder in general rather than just to hurry to the endpoint is 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 quite nice to hear because he was had a model which needed a lot of time before it developed um, any sort of histological pathology and the um, <laughs> journals were perhaps a little um, hasty to reject work or to to question his work which brings me on to my second point in that he was quite um, he was quite um, clear with his viewpoints on keeping postdocs waiting um, for 18, 20 months on decision makings of, of journals just because somebody wanted to do everything slightly to the right again in a mouse model and correct it, having seen that this, you know, this already took a long time and perhaps not trying to look for a paper that explains everything in one foul swoop um, and, um, and instead maybe perhaps allowing people to break up their data and, and seeing it for the merit of what is being presented at the time. And I thought that was, you know, brave. Uh, and it was also something that people wanted to or needed to hear. So it was it, his talk to me spoke on multiple different levels, not just on data, but about how the um, concept and the culture of science should perhaps be be being changed and so yeah it was it was really life lovely just to hear that plenary talk it was great it's always great when you come away from a talk or a session um not just uh taking away the scientific content but these are the things that you can then take away and apply uh in in kind of your work life as well i think for me one of the sessions that i really um enjoyed was the one on neurovascular contributions to dementia um so understanding how blood changes uh how Changes to blood flow in the brain might have a role in the onset of uh, and progression of certain neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and, and how that can then have particular implications for, for potential treatments. And I found that um, what really stuck out for me in that session was how we had early career researchers um, speaking alongside really eminent uh, distinguished professors and, and them sharing a platform. I thought that that was really nice to see. And also bringing early career researchers on to, to co-chair these sessions as well and co-organise them. I thought that was really nice to see. So it was really exciting to see uh, Beth Eyre, who is also one of our uh, dementia researcher bloggers, and she was talking about her PhD research. Um, but we, uh, in the same session, had Professor Edith Hamill from McGill University. And I just thought it was really nice to kind of see them uh, sharing a platform together uh, and talking about the same topic. And I think it was the first time I'd ever seen anybody get a round of applause at the start of their talk because <laughs> Professor Hamill is, is so distinguished in her area and she had a, a round of applause at the start of her talk which I thought wow. was uh was quite funny I was yeah. like imagine if I get there in my career where I'm applauded just by existing wow. uh, that was quite ex quite exciting coming on see. stage like yeah. a rock star yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly yeah. <laughs> it's what we all strive for exactly. right um <laughs> <laughs> but then I think as well something um aside from the scientific content that stuck out for me was um 
Did anybody go to the peer review section? And and when I say peer, for anyone that's listening, it was spelled P-I-E-R because obviously we were at the seaside. Um, so did anybody go to that session? Because I remember walking past the conference the day before it opened and seeing these kind of uh, fairground tents through the window. And I was thinking, what are they doing in there? Um, so d- did anybody attend that? I want to kind of explain to our listeners what, what that was. Dorothy, did you... Uh, go to the peer review. I did. It was uh, great fun. Um, did uh, so. So first of all, so it's very colorful. I'm just trying to describe. Like it's very co- colorful. It's like um, it's like in a circus. I don't know. Is it the way, right? Yes. Yeah. And I found it's amazing. So um, uh, you did it with um, Susanna Walker, who's um, a Deliveroo neuroscience group lead. So um, first of all, we need to um, hook a duck. Like a, yeah, so and under the duck there, um, at the bottom of the duck there is like different topics, um, there's important topics um, in the neuroscience field. So let's just say, for example, the topic that I did was um, how do we actually inference like the policy, like um, yeah, of uh, about neuroscience or um, let's just say if there's not enough funding, you know what what can we do about it? So there are different topics, important topics, and then. Um, we have to do some activities like throw like a, a ball like a, a towards like some coconuts. Yeah. I think it's called a coconut, um, coconut shy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes, it's probably yeah. yeah. So um and it's great. It's uh, great fun. And then um yeah, so we did a lot of like activities and at the end I found it's nice is that um we got to um add some water like uh, to a tank. So it's like every neuroscientist a small step. And it will influence, like, um, you know, like we'll make a bigger step. So the, the idea is that um, we got to like, make the, the floating brain, like, out from this big tank. So each of us, like, you know, contribute a little bit, like, small step. And then, like, together, we, like, you know, have, like, a big step. And um, what about for those of you who, who went there? Is, do you feel the so similar thing? So I, I, thing? I, I yeah. briefly went there um, and... Um engaged in the end like you said you explained it um, wonderfully it just it was just uh, really good to have sort of a bit of fun and stimulate talking points and defunding the NHS on how the NHS and more interaction with it would be good for for uh, you know um, for neuroscience and neuroscientific research and um, yeah no I think you did a wonderful do- uh, job Dorothy of, de- of describing it it was it was uh, a bit of fun but a way of stimulating some very real topics and real conversations that you know should be had being had by um, neuroscientists on a regular basis just as a <laughs> not ominous at all but uh, did you hear that the uh, that, that that giant tank did uh, the very end just and it shattered and all the water came out so there was a mad dash to try and sort of like sort that out at the very like literally like just before the last session i think and it was just it just shattered and all the water started spilling out that's nothing to say that that we're not to get stronger together and we're not doing it's not going to come crashing to a hole but it was just a bit of yeah it was a bit of fun because it was all hands to the literally all hands to the pump but it was uh, interesting we can break yes. down barriers together. Oh, there you right? go. Yeah, so yeah. that's that. Brilliant. Yeah, that was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, it's just how we frame it. It just shows the power of neuroscientists when oh, we yeah. come together to like solve that. these issues, like right? That. We'll feed that yeah. back. Yeah. Well done. Well That's done. Yes. Nicely put. Yeah. It's kind of a good way to kind of end, end this podcast on, I think. And, and it was a lot of fun. I've never seen anything like that at any conference that I've been to. And it was a really good way to stimulate discussion uh, because people were just naturally drawn to see what's this big circus tent and what are all these games here for? And uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of fun and a really great way to kind of have those discussions on various topics. So I'm afraid that's all we've got time for today. However, if you want to continue to catch up or if you're interested in knowing more about the event or watching some of the recorded sessions, head to bna.org.uk. The next event will be in April 2025 and is heading to Liverpool. So we hope to see you there. I would like to thank our incredible guests. So we've got Dr. Charlie Arbor, Dr. Dorothy Say, Dr. Dane Bacano-Kelly and Dr. Nora Bengoa. I'm Dr. Kama Amin-Ali and you've been listening to the Dementia Researcher podcast. Bye, everyone. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Brought to you by DementiaResearcher.nihr.ac.uk in association with Alzheimer's Research UK, Alzheimer's Society, Race Against Dementia and the Alzheimer's Association, bringing you research, news, career tips and support.